Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to two private practitioners who own their private practice together, and yes, they are sisters. Their names are Sarah Hamill and Stephanie Izzy. They started their private practice because they were unhappy with the services that kids were having access to in the Providence, Rhode Island area, and so they started their own private practice and actually run their private practice as a nonprofit, which is something they talk about on the podcast. So stay tuned for information about that in this fantastic episode with Sarah and Stephanie. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners and these are our stories. All right. So this is a very special episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, because not only do we have business partners, but they happen to also be sisters. So before we dive in, can you guys share your names, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. I'm Stephanie Izzy. And I am Sarah Izzy Hamill. And we're located, we live in Rehoboth, Massachusetts which is right on the line, but our practice is located in North Providence, Rhode Island. And it's called Access Speech Therapy. There you go. Fantastic. So I have just so many questions for you guys, but before we dive into the questions, can you guys share like what your early careers were like in speech pathology or something else? I think one of you might be a little bit of a career changer. So share about your early careers. I'll let you go first because it's... Okay. So... I, Sarah, hello again. My undergrad is actually in voice performance. I sang opera in college and I still dabble, but I was a vocalist until I finished undergrad and had a conversation with my mother on vacation at San Francisco, actually. She's like, okay, you're graduated. What are you going to do now? And I was either, I knew I had to go to grad school to do something because I didn't think I would be good at Starbucks, which is where a lot of my singer friends went. So it was either nursing or my mom had a friend that was a speech therapist. And I was like, that's cool. 
And there's that whole voice connection. I ended up hating voice. It was like my lowest grade in grad school. It was my worst class. But I ended up very far from where I thought I would go right after school. After I graduated from Mass General Hospital Institute, I bought like 17 pairs of scrubs. And I was like, I'm going to work in sniffs forever. I love brain injury. That's my life. And one Columbus Day weekend, and this is so bad. You know, I love everyone that works in a school. I did for a couple of years. But one Columbus Day, my mom was sitting on the couch. She was a teacher for like 30 years. And she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to work. Aren't you? She's like, no. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? That's when I realized like I was killing myself working, sitting in my car and crying because all my patients were dying. And just the, the culture was so, it was such a bad first job, the sniff. Like the culture was so soul-crushingly, coldly corporate that I just felt very deflated and not, it just, I knew I had to go. I knew it wasn't for me. The time wasn't for me. The population wasn't for me. I also wasn't good at it. I realized, (laughs) and I thank God every day I didn't actually hurt anyone, but like at dysphagia, I just, I felt very scared a lot of the time. It's just not for me. I ended up in preschool and that's where I'm going to stay the rest of my days (laughs) because that's where I belong. When you recognize that what you thought you wanted wasn't actually the reality of what the situation was. And then it sounds like you pivoted to, you know, a much better population for you. It was funny because my first job was in Providence, Rhode Island. Our mom was a teacher in Providence for her entire career. I actually ended up working at a preschool room that was housed within her elementary school where she had been all those years. So the last year she worked, I overlapped with her. So I would go like bring her coffee. It was really fun. It was right after Christmas in say 2013. Yeah. Because that September I had had gastric bypass surgery. That's a whole nother episode. But in March of that year, I had applied to, I think I only applied to Providence schools because I knew they had a bunch of openings and it was the middle of the school year. And it was kind of a kerfuffle of a time. So I was like, I know I can get in Providence. I'm just going to apply there. The person who was in charge of hiring for speech paths, her name was Dawn. And if anyone listening is from Rhode Island, she's like very Rhode Island. She just has a heavy Rhode Island accent. She's just a scream. I love her. She's a very, very nice woman. I think she has since left. But anyway, she said to me, my interview was okay. This is an inner city. This is like very high needs underserved seven, eight openings at any given time. I have two openings right now. I have King and I have Pre-K. Which one do you want? So King was an elementary school. And then there was Pre-K. I had never done Pre-K. I don't think I'd met a preschooler in any of my placements. And I was like, I don't know. That sounds fun. Let me do that. And it kind of put me on a track to where I am now. I love it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So that's your track. That's my track. That's your track. All right. Share your track, uh, Stephanie. So I spent a very long time in school. I was a professional student for a long time. Mm-hmm. I actually did research in biology and 
I was getting a PhD in genetics while Sarah was going to grad school for speech. And Sarah was a voice student. I was, I was in New York um, going to school and Sarah was a voice student in her. She needed some help with some of the more uh, science, yeah, science-based classes. So she asked for my assistance on that, um, which is how I got introduced to the field. Um, so I would read some papers. I think you were taking like research science. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, that's right. Research and design. That class almost made me have a nervous breakdown. So, and I was doing research, so I was able to help, but it was really interesting. So I read a lot of the research in the field before I decided to, to make the leap. So defending my dissertation in genetics, I looked at the job market for speech, to be quite honest. And I was Sick of writing grants and moving from place to place and wanted working to go 14 hour days yeah working very we still do that but yeah actually <laughs> um but so i decided to make the switch into the field of speech pathology so that was really really fun and i kind of had a similar track i got a job in the providence public schools and you know had thought i wanted to be more medically based and then got a job in the schools and loved it but i think we had both started out talking immediately about what we wanted to fix <laughs> and then eventually decided that it was easier to fix it from the outside than from the inside. So <laughs> I like it. See though, like the path to leaving our full-time jobs in Providence, it was very difficult. It was crazy. I mean, honestly, both of our leaving the district was crazy. Yeah. yeah. But for the better. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, yeah. I mean, it's difficult. It's very hard right now and I'm sure we'll get to this, but like, when did you leave Providence May? Yeah. Yeah. So this is pretty new for us having full time. Yeah. We were doing this part time since 2017. Yeah. Our private practice. And then we saw that it was succeeding and <laughs> it was kind of the time to jump in or let it continue to be a part time thing. So. You guys started on the side of your jobs in the school. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like? Uh, it looked like kind of a couple of clients after work. So mm -hmm. a lot of like... Yeah, when we started, what do we have, two kids? We started with two and then, you know, added a few more and then thought, hey, it's working. Well, and oh. the story of our practice really was, it was that like after school, couple kids here, couple kids there, and then it got to be six, then eight kids, but then... What made all the difference for us was two things. One of them, and I noticed in the, you know, looking over the list of questions, one of them was, what did I wish I know? Yeah. The one thing, if I could tell anyone thinking about this one thing, it is, I will give you his phone number, but we found a biller. We found someone to help with billing. And it's very sad, honestly, like if I had another life to go fix this, I would, but like the insurance like the complications of that system are such a barrier to yeah. good therapists starting their own practice. And it's very frustrating. And the person that we work with, his name is Jim from Rehab Management Services. I think he's out of Iowa. He's a really cool guy. He's done a lot with like kind of niche, but like therapist education regarding the insurance system. And like, I called him actually a couple weeks ago, not very long ago. And I said, Jim, I'm panicking. <laughs> I'm panicking. I'm not doing well. I'm stressed. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. People like your staff are asking me questions about our clients that I don't know how to answer. And I feel, so for example, it was something like, 
one of his staff emails me and says, oh, this claim is getting denied because your visits ran out. What did they say was the visit limit when you verified eligibility? And I'm like, when I what? (laughs) (laughs) So you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And yeah, that was scary part. You know, I remember having a conversation as we expanded, you know, I think we should take health insurance because it would open up. We're, uh-huh. So we should actually go back <laughs> a minute. We're a nonprofit. <laughs> we yeah, in addition to being a clinic. We did that for a couple of reasons. One is we saw a need for quality therapy for people who didn't have a lot of resources. There's a lot of underserved populations where we were working in the schools and we wanted to have a sliding scale and take the state health insurance and work with the families that we were working with in the schools. Work through some of those barriers that wrap around that you just can't really do or that outpatient clinics don't typically do. Like in our population or in the population we were working with, you know, in the city, the barriers might be something like a family might need a little bit of extra support keeping appointments or... Mm -hmm. We meet some of our families at a library because they don't have access to transportation. So like working through those things, problem solving, being a place where they can get access to other resources and just spending some of our time talking through problems that are barriers to them because those are barriers to the children too. You know what I mean? And the other reason that we did that is the loan forgiveness program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Government. So we called them and asked them if we were our own, if we were to start our own private practice that was a nonprofit, would it fulfill the requirements for loan forgiveness, which is working for a government or nonprofit organization? And they said, sure, why not? Because I I don't know that that is going to hold up, but we'll see. (laughs) Um, Worth a try. It it was worth a shot. So we're a nonprofit and we wanted to take various types of insurance. And I said that would even the playing field a little bit so we could take some more lower income families or families of various need. And just to point out for anyone who would like the connection between that might not be apparent, different insurance companies, here's another thing that makes it super complicated. Different insurance companies reimburse at different rates ranging from one of ours reimburses at like $26 a visit up to $92 a visit. So it's very difficult to plan if you don't know what percentage of your practice is reimbursing at 26 versus 90. How can you plan? You know what I mean? It gets like really in the weeds. So those kids who reimburse at 25 bucks, we have like, it just so happens a couple of those kids are very high need. So they need to be seen or like clinically or you feel a therapist might recommend two or three times a week. And like, how do you make the books work? You know what I mean? So that's something that was another unforeseen kind of wrench. But hey, we can pay the rent and pay the employees. So that's so far (laughs) another month down. Fabulous. And so it's the two of you and then who else? So we've actually taken on three now part-time employees. Very recently. Very recently. Congrats. (laughs) That was our other thing. We got a biller and we also paid for a search engine optimizer service and we exploded after that. It was like the best 600 bucks. If you want to do it, those two things, like marketing, single penny. Marketing was something that I would have never thought about at all. And it's something that I'm currently thinking about. It made a huge, we know we did a, our website, we designed 
and kind of made look decently professional for people who don't know websites. Yeah. So people are attracted to our mission, but also we're, we're able to get that message out to various people because we have worked at marketing and we mailed out things to pediatricians and other kind of resources for getting clients. There's a need around in our area for speech therapy. There's a lot of wait lists. Um, so we actually mailed out to other speech therapy practices and said, hey, if you <laughs> have a wait list, you yeah, can send some clients our way. big hospital in the area, like, you know, any other cities are similar to Rhode Island and, you know, their speech needs. It's like there's a big hospital and then, like, they have, like, a two-month wait list. And so that was one of our biggest referral sources, actually, was another speech therapy practice because they just couldn't handle it. And you have very, very needy kids, you know, high needs in terms of disability, just flooding the city, this really tiny location. So connecting with them was actually really great and letting them know the specific services we offer. So we're Hannon certified and that was another thing. We thought, oh my gosh, so funny. We thought that was going to be like a thaw thing. Like we're going to get Hannon certified and like people are going to come from everywhere to do our, no, nobody. And, and I, I was going to say nobody cared. It's not that it's not popular here. So I'm like, I'm super pumped about this thing. And people are like, yeah, we'll learn how to sell it. That one we have to learn. Yeah, we have to learn how to sell it. Hannon's amazing. Everyone should do it. But well, it was hopefully on the Hannon website, right? Oh, so yeah. that's also yeah. good for SEO, right? One of the benefits of doing those kind of certification programs is honestly showing up in their search results oh, yeah, and then the backlink to your website. Yeah. That's a really good point. When you go to the Hannon website, pretend like you're a parent looking for services, go to Massachusetts okay. or go to Rhode Island and make sure I'm that you're on there. And then also yeah. make sure that that is linking back to your website. That I don't know. No, that it's not. You should go and do that. Thank okay. you. Because that will also yeah. help you. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. The fancy term you guys are going to like howl at this is link juice. Really? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> that is pretty fun. Think of it also like a popularity contest. So when your website is just on Google, right? There's like a thousand gajillion websites out there, right? And Google has to try to figure out which website to show to people when they type it into search, right? Oh, yeah. So the way that they figure out what to show is by search engine optimization, but also thinking about what other websites are linking to that website. So it's kind of like a popularity contest, right? If another website is linking to you, that's also telling Google, hey, this is popular. Yeah, this is worth looking at because other people are talking about it too. Yeah. Right? Crazy web of bots and spiders. and It's so not what I thought I'd be thinking about. What you become an expert at that you never thought you'd have to know. Ever. See? There you go. Billing, insurance, (laughs) all these kind of other things. A good nine months of the billing question. We were just seeing clients for free for nine months that had insurance while we figured out how to bill for it and I was like well this is a very weird hobby like we're just gonna work after work it was very strange how people presented it to me at least like when I asked other people because I asked a couple of friends who had gone into private practice as mental health practitioners Mm -hmm. like talk therapists Mm -hmm. that is a whole other ball of wax their billing is totally different like if someone 
who's like a, a social worker or a licensed mental health person, if they're like, oh my gosh, it's so easy. No, no, a thousand times no. <laughs> they are not lying to you on purpose, I'm sure. <laughs> but it is not such a way as this. I'm actually, that's like on my to-do list that is like six pages long at this point. I really want to just write down like steps because I have to do it for myself. Like if I was a year ago, it's because it's not hard. You just don't know. You can't like Google search how to be a clinic manager. You know what I mean? But there's definitely some things that will make your life easier, like knowing what questions to ask. Definitely. And, and starting to learn that, but then you know, making procedures out of things, right? Like that's what we're doing know, now. That's our whole purpose so in life right, right? now. Because yeah. SLPs, we talk so much about how we hate to reinvent the wheel, right? I hate to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And yet we reinvent the wheel like all the time Constantly. with all totally. kinds of procedures in our practices that we could just like do once, like standardize it, write it down, make a checklist and yep. not reinvent oh my the God. wheel. It's so funny you say that because that's the struggle right now. We are the of Google Drive. And also on my to-do list, Steph just sent me an article about, what was it? What was the title? Conventions. Yeah. Naming conventions for files and folders on Google Drive, which is one of our little nightmare scenarios in the making. (laughs) Now, like I'll make stuff and then no one can find it. I'm like, it's in the shared drive. She's like, I'm in the shared drive. It's so dumb. So that's another thing we have to kind of clean up. But it's been fun. It's been fun to bring other people into the practice also and yeah. just non-sisters. Kind of, yes. <laughs> That's right. Very fun. But um it's a nice practice and it's it's a very collaborative approach. So we all kind of meet every so often to kind of share ideas and talk about clients. And, and I was surprised by how excited those other SLPs were because when we were looking for help, we had too many clients basically, and we couldn't run the business and do the stuff we wanted to do with the nonprofit and see all these kids. So we hired these two SLPs, but while we were hiring, we were like, well, we feel awkward because I'm not really like your boss. What we kind of presented was we're looking for like-minded, forward-thinking, intellectually curious, blah, blah, blah. And we found these two therapists and we were like, hey, if you ever want to co-treat, if you ever want to get, you know, coffee and talk about your clients, like that's something we want to foster. So just thinking about how to promote clinical excellence and Mm -hmm. what that means and how we can do it together. It's really cool. It's really exciting to like I just had a therapist a couple hours ago. Can I call you? I'm thinking about one of my kids. And I think a lot of therapists don't have that in other private practices and in the schools, they end up very isolated. So that's been a really exciting part, I think, of this. Well, I, I like what you said that you essentially led with your value. Yeah. And that's been, I think, huge for us and really what's driving the ship, steering the ship. <laughs> and that's really how the whole thing got started to begin with was because Steph and I, well, Stephanie went first from Providence schools. And we'd always had this practice, but when we got to the point where like, we didn't leave our jobs because the business got successful. We left because it was so broken and we were getting so. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, no, 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 but not, it's not Providence. It's but the, 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 school, in general. Yeah, the special education 
system and and how they deliver speech therapy services in a lot of areas there are some really great examples and there are some big systemic issues that we just couldn't tackle with the high caseloads and the isolation and all of those things. like there's not enough power in speech therapy necessarily to fix it really so it was gonna give me a good phrase and i can't quite remember it but it wasn't like emotional fatigue or, or ethical fatigue. It was like, she didn't like the phrase burnout. She was like, oh, I don't like the phrase. Uh, yeah. She's like, I don't like the phrase burnout because it puts the responsibility on you that you just couldn't handle it. But what really happened is you just couldn't face practicing in a way you didn't feel was up to your standard for so long. And nobody practices perfectly all the time. I still, you know, like <laughs> it's a struggle at times to be your best self, but at least you can practice in a way that makes you feel good and that you well, what it was too is that i remember in the beginning with our first couple of clients we were so genuinely excited it was like that grad school level of excitement at how quickly they were making progress and then it was like well yeah of course they're making great progress you see them with their super dedicated parent an hour a week alone <laughs> and they're one of two kids you have of course like but like wouldn't it be great, like, just evening the playing field, I guess, like, because so many kids are getting much less than they deserve, and they are entitled to. So anyway, like, when we left, like, just left our full-time jobs, we kind of just jumped in with the idea that we were going to show what might happen if you just let therapists do what they could do. You know what I mean? And how awesome that can be. And the results have been amazing, honestly. Our kids are doing great. I we think all of them. also really focused a lot on not just direct therapy, which we do, yes. but we had the family. So all of our therapy sessions have either families or teachers in them. So sometimes we go into schools and work with teachers and students. And sometimes we work, most often we work with the families. And so we're really acting as direct therapists and coaches reach out to other service providers. So if kids have PT, OT, whoever, you know, we try to really do a wraparound service, a lot of ABA therapists that we work with to kind of bridge all of these practices together. So that's been part of our practice. It's been really successful. Well, that sounds fantastic. I love what you're saying about, you know, you couldn't fix what was wrong about where you were working. So write that quote about be the change you wish to see in the world, right? You guys essentially figured out, I'm sure you were working hard to change it and just couldn't, right? The system was broken for the kids. And so you figured out how can you create your own system? So what does your private practice look like now? We didn't know if we'd have a focus or a specialty and we don't, which is kind of fun. We have students from just under three to adult. We have adult clients also. So we kind of allow therapists to say, okay, I'm really interested in or really like to specialize in this type of problem or client. And we have 20, 22 clients now. Yeah. But in terms of like a step back, like what we do as a practice, we also have kind of like developed a couple of other arms. So we have the clinic, we have Steph, you still see clients. I stopped seeing clients because I do most of the back office stuff. And I also just ended up through, 
again, that's another story for another episode, but I ended up doing, we called them strategic initiatives, like some, what would you even call it? What advocacy work? Yeah, thank you. See, words are escaping me. I started doing educational advocacy for two families and I'm working on a project with, oh my God, I don't even know what to call these people. Right now, Massachusetts is crafting language for, they're going to yell at me. I can hear them in my mind. I call it universal pre-K. You're not supposed to call it that for some reason. I don't really understand it. It's state funded or something else, whatever. And I went to, there was this meeting of like 30 different stakeholders all in a room working on crafting this language. So it was like, some head of early childhood, blah, 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 or, you know, and the amazing thing is like, there's all these changes happening, even in like the presidential debates, they're talking about universal, you know, childcare and how much childcare is an issue and quality early childhood experiences. And from my vantage point going into, so my position, I traveled, I was itinerant. So I went into different preschools around the city And that gave me the opportunity, like, so funny, whenever I go see kids in their preschools, one person in the school will be like, you look familiar. I'm like, yeah, I just lived in preschools in this like two mile radius. So you see a lot. And what really hit at home was when we started the conversation. Yeah. So anyway, there's such a difference. There is, I mean, there's just no other way to say it, a difference in the quality between what some kids get. So like my daughter goes to pre-K in the same city on the other side of the city and the culture in her room, the vibe in there, the quality of the teachers, quality of the experience, it's just so vastly different. A and B, when you think about like, I've been thinking a lot about intersectionality. So you take a child who is living in poverty with a disability and is a minority That's a child with a lot stacked against them, but one of them, we can control somewhat their access to high quality early childhood education. And what does that mean and how are we measuring it? So some of our other initiatives, we are advocating for neurodiversity inclusion. So like including particularly kids on the autism spectrum, especially in early childhood education. So we've helped families whose children had kind of gotten immediately put into sub-separate classrooms to kind of advocate for them to be integrated into regular education programs, which is really huge. And they've made so much more, I just, it's a huge part of our practice is to advocate for that. They make a ton of progress. These kids have made phenomenal progress just being in typical, you know. Actually, that reminds me. So through all this, we're doing, I have, that reminds me, we have to send out a doodle poll. I meant to ask you, I could not for the life of me figure out a doodle poll. <laughs> See? Anyway. See, yeah. <laughs> you've, got got a, you've got oh, to focus on this question, but yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say we're doing the interview project. So we're interviewing mm-hmm. some moms, three, I shouldn't call the moms. One of them specifically asked me not to do that. Sorry, Kristen. Three parents of young children with autism who chose to integrate them. So went against the recommendation of the district for self-contained and chose to put their children in general education and kind of how they came to that, what it's meant for them. So yeah, that's kind of like two buckets. So we work, you know, thinking about that early inclusion of children with autism, 
improving quality and outcomes for children with disabilities living in poverty. That's another kind of bucket busy. We also take (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, mentorship. We also take students. So we mentor undergraduate students and we're partnering with the local university to start taking some graduate students. Now that we have some clients, (laughs) we we can mentor them. Well, it just sounds like you guys would be such amazing mentors because of the work that you do helping these kids get the access that they need that they don't have. I love that you're structured as a nonprofit. I think that that's probably going to be very interesting to the listeners. How did you guys get set up as a nonprofit? I'm I'm thinking people are going to want to know that. Yeah, actually, it was not hard. (laughs) It was Um, easy. We went to a lawyer first who had no idea how to do it. And was very dismissive, honestly, not to get off topic, but we were basically told that it was very difficult for this lawyer who had built his own practice to do that and that we didn't need to. And he told his wife not to start her own practice. So you guys uh, are going to have kids. You're not going to have time. For yeah. This. So that was a, <laughs> That's a quote. so that wasn't the way to go. But we then went to really women having jobs. <laughs> we went to an accountant who was like, oh, you just fill out this, it's a form that you fill out and you register and pay a fee. It was it cost $400 and took like 20 minutes. It wasn't too difficult. So that was not the hard part of becoming an Interestingly, if anyone listening is interested in this, I want someone to research it and then tell me the story. I've been meaning to do this since we did this in 2017. The accountant told me that the reason it's so easy to become a nonprofit has something to do with changes that were made by Tea Party lobbyists. Like it had something yeah. to do with like they wanted it to be easier to become a pack. And so they rewrote a bunch of the laws. It is now very, very simple for better or worse. That actually is interesting. The fact that we wondered and have a lot of questions like, oh, how can you take a salary from a nonprofit? Well, that's what the attorney said. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Mansplaining attorney. He was like, well, if you're a nonprofit, how are you going to take a salary? Okay, you you can. can. You can do that. So the rule of that is just you can pay your employees a typical salary, you know, a salary that's commensurate with like a normal piece that you would pay. You just become so technically speaking, we do not own this business. No one owns it. A nonprofit's like its own entity and we are employees of it. So we are on the board. We have other people on the board that are not related to us, but we also have to have board meetings. So that was another thing in the beginning. We're like, okay, we're a nonprofit, but we weren't really like doing much. So our (laughs) meetings were like beer with the two other people on the board. Our meetings were really Hey guys, (laughs) now they're very different. They're actually real board meetings with minutes and, you know, there's still beer, but. (laughs) But we have a meeting. (laughs) But we have a meeting, right. Uh So that was definitely a big change. It's different. I looked for other therapy practices that were nonprofits. There aren't. People ask me all the time. There's a lot of people who are very interested, you know, who live in maybe either more rural areas or areas where, you know, there's just, you know. A lot of grants available for educational supports, especially in rural areas. Grants are a whole other thing I have not figured out yet. Anybody listening? Any opinions on grant writing? (laughs) Yeah, so them. becoming the nonprofit was easy. Having any benefit from being that's it. There's no money. If anyone's <laughs> thinking money is coming, it's not. I'm you sure that it's out there. It. 
you just have to find it. I literally was like, hey, Staples, like, can we have like paper and stuff? They're like, no, <laughs> get out of here <laughs> or pay for this. So yeah, grants are out there though. I've read a lot of them. They're scary sounding, but I know we'll figure it out eventually too. Well, maybe that's curve. one of the plans for, you know, the next year. Yes. Right? Because it sounds like you guys have lots of plans for the next year. And I love that you're going to start, you know, taking more students. I think, you know, I'm always in favor of involving, you know, students. And I'm just so excited about the work that you are doing for your community and for, you know, these kids who it just sounds like don't really have any other options. Yeah, we love the families that we work with. It's been really fun to have a relationship with a community really around our clients, which has been something that you really don't get if you have too many of them. It's been really fun to develop those relationships. And, you know, we've gotten referrals from families to other families, which is really nice. What are any like last pieces of wisdom or advice or things before we wrap up for the listeners? Well, I honestly would say we went over the billing and the planning and management things that are all very practical pieces of advice, but I would have to say that it was really scary to think about doing it and jumping in was the best decision, you know, career-wise that I've made. It's been a lot of fun and totally worth it. I couldn't imagine doing anything else now. That is, again, for better or worse, (laughs) we'll not be able to go back. I think that it should give us some props. It takes a lot of bravery to admit, and it is scary to look at something. And when you have that realization of this is wrong, that you can fix it. You may have to wonder how you're going to pay the mortgage for a while. (laughs) We have made it so far. And I don't mean to make light of that. I know it is a luxury to be able, you know, and not to say we haven't put in our time, but it's rewarding. It's great. It's absolutely been a dream and it's very exciting and you can be part of a solution and what you do does make a difference. It's been so amazing to have relationships with people I never would have had because you just don't have access to the families in the same way. And we're really excited. Can't wait to see what next year brings. So where can our listeners learn more about you online? Accessspeechtherapy.org is our website. And you can Google us because we show up now. <laughs> and the address is correct. We're yes. in Cranston. We're in North Providence. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is an absolute pleasure to get to know both of you. And I'm sure that the listeners have all kinds of, you know, golden nuggets to take from this. So thank you both for being on the show. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks thank for, having, for us. having us. This was awesome. You're welcome. Okay. How much fun are Sarah and Stephanie? I loved everything about their message from, you know, not being satisfied with the services that the kids were getting in the preschools to figuring out how to service their community and start their own nonprofit. These two are a lot of fun, um, but they have a really important message about being the solution, right? There's that quote, which I love. I talk about all the time about being the change that you want to see in the world. And what these two have done is they, you know, they worked in the school system for a while. They saw a lot of things that were broken and they tried to fix them, but they couldn't. So what they decided to do was to start their own private practice. And I'm so glad that they did for the children and families who really need them and need their services. So if this is something that you want to do, if you want to start your own private practice, 
I have a free training that you can access at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar. And it goes through the process of getting your ducks in a row to start a private practice, just like Sarah and Stephanie did. So um, thank you for listening to the episode and have a great week. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.